In her best-selling book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, Rebecca Peppert, the author, wrote this. She says, the one thing that non-believers and believers have in common is that they both hate evangelism. Now, it may be easy for us to understand why a non-believer, a non-follower of Jesus Christ might hate evangelism. Sometimes it's a little difficult for me to believe why sometimes we seem so uncomfortable, maybe fearful even, of evangelism. I think mostly because evangelism is really messy. Getting in people's business. Getting in people's lives. And as we all know from our own experience and from our own conversion experience and from our own walk with Jesus Christ, our own life has been very messy. God's done a lot of cleaning up to get us to where we are today in our walk with him. And still there are messes and fires to put out in our lives, for sure, because we're, we're human beings. And we experience life on so many different levels. So I was wondering, as we begin to talk about evangelists today, can we demystify this role, this office, this gifting? Can we look at evangelists in a much different way that kind of maybe takes away the fear, takes away the mystery, takes away the uncomfortableness of this particular wonderful gift, this role, this opportunity that God has given us? I think the answer to that is yes. I think that it can be done. And I'm really going to try to do that today, but let's pray and see if God will help me. (laughs) Father, thank you for today. Once again, we are excited to be in your presence. We're excited that we really never leave your presence, that you are always with us, and that you took us out of darkness and brought us into the light. You evangelized us. You did something for us. You redeemed us, we restored us, and then you're still in the process of doing that, and we thank you for that. Today is part of that process. We are in your presence, and we ask your help. We ask your divine grace in order to be able to understand your words today. So I ask again, yes, empty me of me. Speak through me. Allow your voice to be heard loud and clear. Let everything that I say today be reflective of your heart and of what your word says. And I ask that, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. The Greek word for evangelist, which I'm not even going to attempt to try to pronounce today, okay? Not even going to try to attempt it. But it simply means a bringer of good tidings, a messenger of good news. And in the context of Ephesians 4.11, when the basis of our series, evangelist is, talk, is in, someone who is empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill the role of evangelism. To hold an office of an evangelist or a role or to exercise the gift of it. But really, 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 an evangelist is supposed to equip other people, and help them learn how to evangelize, to spread the good news. That's really the role of an evangelist in the church. It's one of the equippers that help us all 
understand the wonderful role of being an evangelist in the world. See, that's the wonderful part about this gift, is it's meant to equip us. Evangelists are burdened to reach people who are not following Jesus. They love sharing the gospel and equipping others to do so. Evangelists insist that the church be a welcoming place for those who are on on the margins of, of faith in Jesus. They call out our communities, our faith-based communities, to be compassionate and to be life-giving to people who are lost. That is a, a very simple way of looking at the role of an evangelist. The, the interesting thing that the word evangelist is only used three times in the New Testament. Acts 21.8 is used when, it's, when it actually describes the only evangelist that it actually names, Philip. The evangelist. Of course, Ephesians 4.11, when we're, re- we're, we're going to study today. And the one that we're really going to get into in a little while is 2 Timothy 4.5. So the, the, the term evangelist is only used three times in the New Testament. But the verb of the word evangelist, again, which I am not going to attempt to pronounce, is used over 50 times in the New Testament. So I'm thinking, God is a whole lot more interested in the doing of evangelism than he is with the title of evangelism. Okay? Now, again, titles are important to God. He gives many of them out throughout Scripture. However, in this case, I think God is showing us something about the whole way we look at evangelism that is very important to notice. Okay. So an evangelist is a preacher, a messenger, a storyteller, and a bringer of glad tidings. I think, I think an evangelist is all these things. But I want to add one more thing to it. It is the term hunter-gatherer. The term hunter-gatherer. Now, in the study of society and how human beings develop society, in almost every study there always has been a hunter-gatherer group. Someone, a group of people that live in many different environments, but basically are are nomadic. They go from place to place trying to make a way to live. They live off the land. So in almost every society that you can ever study. I don't really think, even in America, where we have advanced so far in so many things, I still believe that most of society actually exists in the same way. There are people who are nomadic out there that are trying to live off a land that does not sustain them any longer. They are looking for a home, for a place to stay. So all these avenues, all the way that the scriptures describe what an evangelist is, we have to become hunter-gatherers in order to go into this society, into their environment, in order to effectively preach the gospel. I'll explain what this means. To follow the command to go into all the world and make disciples is to become hunter-gatherers. And I think it's a, a good way to stretch our mind to understand the life of an evangelist and the work of evangelism. Now, first of all, our Messiah sets the standard evangelism. Jesus is the greatest evangelist that has ever 
lived. Luke 4, 18-19, he makes this great proclamation. We're all familiar with it. I want to take it apart as I read it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. That word anointed means to be set apart and given a mission. So not just set apart, but set apart for a mission. To proclaim the good news. Now these three words is that verb for evangelize. And it means to declare, to announce, to preach to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty, freedom, deliverance, wholeness to the captives. Now that word captives means prisoners of war. Think about that for a minute. Captives. Prisoners of war. Recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That word oppressed means being crushed. Crushed beyond recognition. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right now, right here, is God's favor. What a beautiful representation of the heart of an evangelist. Later on in uh, Luke 19.10, Jesus takes this whole beautiful declaration, proclamation of, of, of what his mission on earth is. And he kind of condenses it and puts it in concentrated form for us to really kind of get it. 19.10 says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. I think it says the same thing, but just he says, all right, maybe you didn't get that, but this is really what it's about. This is what a life of a hunter-gatherer is all about, to seek and to save those who are lost. To follow Christ is to be hunter-gatherers. He called it fishers of men. It's the same concept. It's the same way that we can understand that you are a messenger that you're a fisher of men, that you're a hunter-gatherer, that you're a storyteller, it might take some of the pressure off. And while it's true that not, I don't believe everyone is called to be an evangelist, just like I don't believe everyone is called to be a pastor, however, I've watched you, I've observed you, you have shepherded each other in different ways. So the gift is still supposed to be used and exercised and breathed in and out of our lives. Every one of those fivefold mystery gifts. And this one is no different. But this one is implicit, intrinsic in the walk of a Christian to fulfill the Great Commission. To go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all men. You want to go to 2 Timothy 4 or 5. I love Paul and Timothy's relationship. I wish I could have been present at some of their conversations together, the ones that are not recorded in the scriptures, because it seemed like they had this great father-son relationship. And he certainly loved Timothy, and he gives him a great exhortation in this verse. But that exhortation is not just for Timothy. It's an exhortation that has screamed throughout history to us today. As for you, always be sober-minded, level-headed, Think clearly. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. And fulfill your ministry. Do the work 
of an evangelist. What is the work of an evangelist? Did you ever, ever read that verse and start to ponder what that was? I do believe that the work of an evangelist is a hunter-gatherer one. It seeks out people and helps them gather into the family of God. The work of an evangelist is God's mission, his work, what Jesus stated in Luke. So how do hunter-gatherers work? I think followers of Jesus Christ need to always be on the hunt. Always need to be on the hunt. We look for opportunities. We make ourselves available for opportunities by the leading of the Holy Spirit to be able to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're always aware. This is why we have to think level-headed. We have to be clear-minded. We have to be sober to realize there are many people out there who need a home, who need to be brought out of darkness into light. Evangelism is so much more than just inviting people to church or to a concert or to a conference. Or, and all those things are wonderful. And, you know, and inviting people to come to church, is, it's a wonderful expression. It really is. I'm not poo-pooing it, but it's so much more than that. Evangelism really is inviting people into your life, into your walk with Jesus. It really is. As messy as that sounds, as, as messy as it is, that's what Jesus did. That is our example. Now, Jesus made it look easy, but I don't think it was that easy. <laughs> so how do hunter-gatherers work? They use the story of the gospel to fuel the hunt. Because we're inviting people into our walk with Jesus. Okay. InterVarsity is this college-based evangelistic ministry. One of the leaders, Tyler Allred, believes that to effectively reach people, we need to be experts in bringing three storylines to life. Three storylines to life. And this is where it starts to fit in the, in the storytelling mode of an evangelist. Okay, story number one is their story. The people that you're trying to reach with the gospel. See, everybody, every human being, every human heart has this great desire to be known. We want people to know us at our core. We want people to be able to identify with us, to know about our lives. So their story becomes very important to understand how they think, how they feel, what makes them tick. When we do this, we're making a huge investment in their life. And what we're saying is that your life is valuable to me. You interest me because of who you are. And when we communicate this urgent cry of value to someone, it makes them open for the second story. The second story is your story, my story. The story of us coming to Jesus Christ. Our faith walk. But even more than that, it is what is Jesus doing now presently in our walk with him? It's present tense as well. Often, we, we, our story involves just our testimony of coming to Jesus, and we neglect to really let people in about what's going on now with Jesus. In our struggles, in our hardships, in our sorrows, in the things that disturb us deeply, how is Jesus being real in those things today? Because that's what people really want to know. This Jesus of yours, how does he help you walk through life? 
And if we can effectively communicate this to people, it leads them open to story number three, the most important story that there is, God's story. The source of the good news. It makes them more open to receive how the life, the death, resurrection of our Messiah impacts their life. How it can. See, it gives them an opportunity and the freedom to, to, to come into your life and say, wow, this, this God really means something to you. He's real to you. I want that. Can I, can I have that? And see, when you start to express God's wonderful weaving of this story throughout history, throughout all time and space, to this very moment, to the age of the day of salvation for that person, they see how that all matters to them right in their present state. God's story is that powerful. And so if we can take story number one, take story number two, and story number three, and effectively communicate those stories with the gospel as a framework of it all, we really could open doors for people to walk into the kingdom and to gather their men. That's evangelism. I have nothing against tracks. I don't use them, but I have nothing against them, Okay. They're effective in some places. I have nothing against going door to door and knocking on people's door and asking them to, to meet Jesus. I don't. I don't do it. I don't have any problem with it. To me, story is the way to tell people about Jesus because it's real. It's real. It's real. In college, I had this friend. I'm going to call him Sam. Sam wasn't a believer. But he was in a lot of my art classes together. So we got to know each other. Sam found out I was a Christian, and he made it his life's duty to drive me insane. Okay. Sam was a kind of a weird kind of thinking person, and he had weird questions, not the standard questions that people ask about Jesus. He would ask questions like, and statements like that would kind of form questions, and kind of, but statements like, what if... We're really not here. We're just someone's dream. How does that affect your walk with Jesus? He would ask questions like, he goes, okay, 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 what about this one? What if there's multiple universes with multiple versions of your God? Which one would you live in? Mike's questions, or Sam's questions, I just looked at Michael. And just, it wasn't Michael, okay? <laughs> I didn't know Michael in college. <laughs> I just looked at him, did this eye thing. Anyways, Sam, Sam's questions really weren't about finding anything out about God. They were really kind of just to, to bug me. But the Holy Spirit let me know that I needed to invite Sam into my life. So I became his friend. And we hung out a lot. We stayed after class to work on most of our art projects. That was just the nature of the, of the degree. And we would go to, to the diners for late dinners and coffee and pie and all that kind of stuff. And eventually, believe it or not, Mike started coming to church with me. <laughs> 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 
I'm going to change his name. Because actually, that's his real name. But that's okay. I might as well just say it. He's never going to hear this more than likely, but that's okay. Oh, Lord, you're funny. And besides, Michael likes to be called Michael, not Mike. So, so, all right. So we, 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 we spent a lot of time together. And he eventually came to church with me. And Mike was down the court or two in the social graces thing. Okay, he didn't really know how to handle social situations. But the group that, that I hung around with, we, we accepted Mike into our, our group. Mike belonged way before believing ever came into the, even thinking about. He would go to church with us every Sunday, go to almost every young adult event that we planned. He was with us all the time. For months he came to church. Months and months. And never seemingly came close to accepting Jesus Christ as his Savior, as his Messiah. It was very funny. What do you do with a person like that? One day, God knew exactly what to do with this person. Here's a person that does not believe that God exists. Thinks we're all crazy people. He, he thinks we're insane. He's hanging out with us. He's, loved, he's loving being with us because he's getting a sense of community, a, a sense of acceptance of who he is. He's driving to work in his car. He's all alone in his car. Doesn't even have the radio on because he doesn't like music. And he hears a voice. This voice says, Mike, why don't you love me? Mike freaks out, almost drives into a ditch because he's never heard anything like that in his life. Manages to safely pull over to the side of the road, sit there for a minute, and then gives his heart to Jesus. Like that. I didn't lead Mike to Jesus. The Holy Spirit did. What I was used for was to be a hunter-gatherer. But the group of uh, people that we hung out with, they were hunter-gatherers too. Mike belonged way before he believed. But because of that acceptance, because of the interchange of stories, because of the progression of stories, and him finally hearing the gospel in such a way that somehow, when he was driving all by himself, where God could speak to him the way that he absolutely needed to be spoken to, he was ready to receive his king. Evangelism is not some spooky thing to be afraid of. It's inviting people into your lives. It is messy. Mike drove me insane. Lots of times. He got into my business. I got into his business. He had a messy life. Hurtful life. Painful life. It was not pretty. But it was beautiful what God did. See, that's evangelism. That's what a hunter-gatherer does. It, it listens to the Holy Spirit's prompting. It goes to where it needs to go. It proclaims truth, the good news, by sharing the story, by getting engrossed in other people's stories, and then by just because you're belonging to him, you're able to present his story. 
Oh, it's so much simpler that way, isn't it? It's so, so much more powerful that way as well. We can simply do the work of an evangelist by sharing God's story and by living the life that reflects His. If our story, the way that we live out our faith, is meant to reflect the life of Jesus in it, then we evangelize, we proclaim, we tell good news by the way we live our life. We are evangelizing, we are proclaiming, we are telling our story, we are sending a message 24-7, 365. There is never a moment that we're not evangelizing. There's never a moment where we're not sending a message about what we really believe about Jesus Christ. Think about that. There's never a moment in your life, there's never a space in your time in my life and in the way I'm walking out this life of Jesus, there's never a moment when I'm not sending a message about what I really believe about Jesus Christ. If that's not enough to give you a sober mind (laughs) and make you really think about what your life is proclaiming. That's the sober-mindedness we need to have about this. That's why the hunter-gatherer part of our walk has to be intentional. By making our story available for people to read. By living open lives that say, the invitation is always there. The door is always open for you to get to know me because I want to get to know you. Uh, The hunter-gatherer is always looking for opportunities because he's being led by the Spirit, of course. Here's the thought. Evangelism is being alive in Christ. And being an evangelist is just being like Jesus. Romans 10, 14 to 15 says this. How can people have faith in the Lord and ask him to save them if they have never heard about them? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how can anyone tell them without being sent by the Lord? The scriptures say that it's a beautiful sight to see even the feet of someone coming to preach the good news. Sometimes this this hunter-gatherer mindset, this way of walking out our faith with Jesus, sometimes, yeah, it's, it's like a breath of fresh air to people. Someone's, wow, someone's taking a real interest in me. Someone's really wants to, to, to improve my lot in life. You know, it's, it's really widely accepted. But there's a lot of times Jesus disturbs people. Sometimes people don't really want to hear the truth. A lot of times people don't really want to hear the truth. How many times do you want to hear the truth? <laughs> the truth is that we won't always be accepted or or well-received with our story, with God's story. You know, our family's walking through such a relationship right now for for months that it's been really extremely difficult to live out this point. Relationships are really messy. Getting into people's business, you're going to get hands dirty. You're going to get cuts and bruises. That's the enduring suffering. 
part of that scripture in Timothy. Sometimes you suffer with people and sometimes you suffer because of people. I'm not saying that evangelism is easy. It's not. Sometimes you think you've got a handle on it and sometimes you, you don't. Sometimes believers, uh, because this kind of resistance to, to the gospel, to the good news, we begin to say things like, well, you know what, I, I just don't have the gift of evangelism. That's just it. Uh, to that I say this. If we are redeemed, if we've been restored, and we have bent our knee to Jesus Christ as Lord, the Savior, King, we have been given a gift of new life. And it is the only gift that we really need to evangelize people. It's the realization of what has been done for us. Freely given, can't be earned, wonderful expression of freedom from sin and everything else that that entails, we have been given this marvelous gift. That is reason enough to go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples of all men. And that's what I'll say about that. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed. That word means dishonored because of a misplaced trust or a painful sense of loss. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, the miracle force of God for salvation, for rescue, for deliverance to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So when a follower of Christ is so consumed with pleasing the Father and knowing the full power of the God that they serve, they know that this power brings redemption, rescue, deliverance. There's no shame in this. There's no shame in knowing this. We can continue to be hunter-gatherers, fishers of men, life story preachers of the good news, and allowing the Holy Spirit and Jesus' example to show us the way. Matthew nine thirty-six to 38 reveals the heart of Jesus in such a wonderful way and how he is the master hunter-gatherer. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered. That word means tossed away purposely. See, scatter is a nice, kind of neat word. It's like people kind of left on their own designs. The word actually means tossed away purposely. Nomadic. Roaming. Not having a place to call their own. Tossed away purposely. Like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers, which also makes, means worker, but it also means teacher, are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The good shepherd is a hunter-gatherer, an evangelist that is moved with compassion. We can be evangelists like that. 
Evangelism doesn't have to be this kind of program. Got to do seven steps of evangelism, 24 steps of evangelism, one step of evangelism. It doesn't have to be anything like that. Really, it is. It's just the steps of a, of a believer following Jesus Christ and the natural outpouring of being with him. See, evangelism is meant to be natural, real. And that means sometimes you goof up in saying things. Sometimes you don't say the right thing. Because it's real. I've worked at the same place for over 25 years. They've known I've been a Christian since the day one. I've had immense influence in a lot of people's life and just the opposite in others. Message has always been the same. But maybe sometimes I didn't say it right. I didn't back it up with my life. I don't know. But the thing is, I try to consistently be like Jesus there. Not always successful. Evangelism is messy. It's getting involved in people's business. Getting involved in their story and then letting them get involved in yours. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us in such a way that you'll continue to open up our hearts to your truth. And it is your truth that we care about. So I pray that you'll continually massage our heart in a way to receive your words. I ask for wisdom for all of us as we walk out this wonderful opportunity to to share stories with people who need to know your story. So we ask that you would help that be worked into our lives in such a way that it becomes more and more natural, much, much more comfortable, and that we won't mind getting our hands dirty, our, our lives messy when you lead us into a situation in order to bring and gather people into your kingdom. Make us hunter-gatherers. Make us evangelists. That we would live our life in an evangelistic way. Like you exhorted Timothy. Give us words. Your word promises that you would put words in our mouth. Give us wisdom. You said we can ask for it and you would give it to us. And we know that the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. So we thank you for all these things. Because now there is no excuse for us. So we ask that we might be used by you and you give us courage and boldness to do so. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.